Not a window was broken, and the paint wasn't peeling. Not a porch step sagged, yet there was a feeling that beyond the door and into the hall, this was the house of no one at all. Internets, welcome to another episode of Step Off Radio, the official podcast of Step Off Magazine. Happy October, everybody. It's been a while since we last aired an episode. I hope you all had a great summer. Hopefully, wherever you might be listening from, you're finally getting a reprieve from that brutal heat wave that a lot of places experienced over the summer, and you're finally getting to enjoy some of that nice, cool fall weather. Uh, Not me, unfortunately. Out in the Southwest, the temperature normally doesn't dip below the 70s maybe into like the 60s if you want to call that quote-unquote cold but sadly you know for the most part we don't really get that nice autumn weather or those lovely fall colors out here but anyways we have a very special episode of step off radio today like i said earlier it's october which means it's officially spooky season and everyone is getting ready for halloween I don't believe I've ever had the chance to talk about it here on the show, but for full disclosure, I love Halloween, and I love scary movies. Always have. Ever since I was a kid, I was always going to Blockbuster or Hollywood Video to rent old horror movies, or I was staying up late to watch the marathons on AMC or um, TNT, Turner Classic Movies, you know, all that old school stuff way back when. So, um... As you might have heard from our little switch up for the intro today, we are going to do somewhat of a spooky Halloween influence episode for the month of October. I would say that we're going to talk about scary stuff on the show today, but let's face it, we've talked about far scarier things happening out in the real world on the show in the past, so today will probably actually be comparatively light compared to what we've talked about in the past before. So today on the show, our guest is none other than Juan Acosta. However, some of you might know him better as Acosta the Man. He's a Riverside-based musician and producer who's played in a variety of bands and produced for various artists. But for those of you listening, you're probably most familiar with his production for our close and dear friends of the show, Cosmic Force. Acosta has produced for both Cosmic Force and for Jag and Threat on their own respective solo projects. And for today's show, Acosta came on the program to talk about his influences as a producer, his incorporation of horror films and soundtracks into his production, and his overall love for the horror genre and cinema in general. You know, we had a really great conversation about hip-hop, horror. Um, We got a lot of great insight from Juan and his experiences and just got to share a a lot of commonalities that both him and I had growing up and our love for the genre so if you love hip-hop and movies 
um, and that's your thing, then without further ado, we present to you our conversation with the one and only Acosta the Man. Right, internets, welcome to another episode of Step Out Radio, the official podcast of Step Out Magazine. Long time, no see internet, it's been a minute, but we're back and we got a wonderful guest on the show today. Today we are joined none other than my man, Acosta the Man, producer extraordinaire behind some of your favorite hits of none other than Cosmic Force. Hailing from Riverside, California. What's up, bro? How you doing? I'm chilling, dude. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> of course. I'm excited man. to be here. Yeah, man. Thank you for making the trek all the way down from Riverside down here. Hey, man. You know what? I saw that the weather was 85 out here, and Riverside is 103. So shit, I looked for the excuse. Hey, there we go. <laughs> sunshine. Well, with that said, man, you know, for our listeners out there that may not be familiar with you and your work, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, tell us your name, your age, where you're from, and what is it that you do? Uh, I am Acosta the Man, a.k.a. The Loop Thief, a.k.a. Um, your favorite producers, like 11th or 12th favorite producer. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a producer, I'm a beat maker. <clears throat> I'm from Riverside, California. I'm 31 years old. I've been making beats. Oh, man. I think I started when I was like 26 or whatever that number is. Um yeah, been been making beats for a little while now, and yeah, no doubt, man. So yo, so let's start from the beginning. Yo, tell us a little bit about your early years. Like you've been making beats for five years, um, but you know, let's start like a little bit earlier than that. Did you grow up in a musical household? So here's the thing. Like it's so growing up, I was the only one who was like obsessed with music. Like I had family members who liked music. Uh-huh. Um, my parents listened to different genres. Like my mom really liked like. 80s kind of pop and my dad really liked classic rock but like hip-hop was something that like my eldest cousin got me into um but music wasn't something that was big in my family like nobody was a musician uh nobody got me into music it was something that I got into myself and throughout the years it was like I just kept getting different genres that I wanted to listen to and kept discovering different music and yeah, it wasn't necessarily that I grew up in a musical household, but music was always something that I was obsessed with. You know, like there was a lot of times like growing up, um, my my grandma used to call me her little borriguito, which anybody who's not listening means like little lamb because I was the chillest one of my cousins. <laughs> All my cousins were being assholes, causing chaos. And I was literally... My grandma would put me in front of a TV, give me a bowl of mashed potatoes, and I would chill. <laughs> and the same principle was with a CD player. If you give me a CD player and a stack of CDs and some food, you leave, I'll be there an hour later. So music nice. has always been a very important part of my life, but like no one got me into it. No doubt. So, you know, so you kind of alluded to this a little bit, like on social media, we talked a little bit this <clears throat> off mic too, but like, um, you know, like you, you've done other musical endeavors besides yes. just producing, Yeah. you know, so like, tell us like a little bit, like where are you, um, what's your entryway into actually, you know, making music, whether it's by yourself or with a group? So when it came to music, growing up, I wanted to always be into music. Like I remember when I was a kid and like, I don't know, maybe like the late 90s, early 2000s, I saw that there was this like digital DJ set. Mm-hmm. And it was this little thing that maybe was maybe like a, a foot long, foot and a half long. And there was like little turntables on it. 
And my mom was like, number one, it's expensive. And number two, it's just going to collect dust. So no. But I just wanted to keep making music. It was a very important. I wanted to do it. And so I never, I didn't start making music until I was about, I want to say 14. And around that time, I got into punk. And so I was playing bass. And so I was playing bass and... You know, that is kind of where I started. I was playing playing the bass guitar, listening to punk, and it was really, it was perfect for me because it was like listening to bands like Black Flag or, um, you know, like the Ramones or something like that. Like very simple three chords, and it's like, oh, I can learn this. You know, I, right. I knew how to play Beat on the Brat by the Ramones very easily or, you know, or... Gimme, Gimme, Gimme by Black Flag because it was like, oh, it's very simple three chords and that's how it started. Mm-hmm. Um, I, got into a, I got into a hardcore band when I was about 17. That lasted about 10 years. And then when I was about 26, 27, I had always wanted to make beats because ever since I was a kid, I've been listening to hip hop, but the beat was the main focus. I always like, I people would like recite lyrics to me and I would be like, uh, is that the song where the beat goes, you know, whatever? Because, like, the beat was always a thing. And then I remember I was, like, 26, 27, and I got my tax return. And immediately I went on Craigslist and I bought a machine sampler. It was used. I didn't care. I just wanted to get started. I figured out how to connect it to my turntable, and I just immediately started sampling. And I'm very, I'm a very tactile learner. I have to get my hands dirty. If you explain something to me, it's going to go in one ear, I'll be able mm-hmm. Yeah. If you said... Here's a puzzle, put it together. I will do it. I will figure it out. And that's how I was with the machine. I figured it out. I learned what to do. And I just kept trying to figure out, okay, this button does this. Because one thing that I realized when it comes to music production, especially now with like modern technology, is the fact that you can go back and delete whatever you don't like. Goodbye. So there was times where like I would have settings where I'm like, I don't hear anything coming out of this thing, so let me just exit out and hit discard and start all over. And this was my stepping stones to get to where I'm at now. So let's take a step back because, you know, we're getting into the production side, but obviously, um, you know, it kind of goes without saying, you possess a profound appreciation for hip hop. Um, and I think obviously, you know, before we're producers or people are MCs or, yeah. you know, uh, writers, whatever, we're always fans. We're fans first. Sure. Um, and I wanted to ask, you know, like, when did you fall in love with hip hop and how exactly did you first get heavy in the hip hop culture? Was this kind of going around on around the same time as punk or was this no. afterwards? So here's the thing. So growing up, I grew up listening to oldies. That was my big thing. Gr- going to car shows, listening to oldies. Staying up late listening to Art LeBeau. Like, that was my life for many, many years. But I have an older cousin. Um, Shout out to my cousin, Roly, because he he changed my life accidentally. Because I used to live next... My family used to live next door to his family. And Mm -hmm. so uh, my tia would babysit me sometimes. And sometimes I would go into his room and he had a huge collection of hip-hop. And I remember looking through his collection and I found a cassette tape. And I looked at it. And it was like these mean mugging dudes. And I was like, I want to listen to this. Like, I don't know what this is, but I want to listen to it. He gets home from school and I'm like, hey, hey, can you play this for me? 
And he's like, he looks at it and he goes, no, I'm not playing this. And I'm like, please, 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 just play this for me. Play this for me, please, please, please. And he kind of looks around like he's doing a drug deal. And he's like, all right, fine. He puts the cassette tape in. He hits rewind. <laughs> Click. And I hear people talking and I'm just like, what the fuck? And then I hear, hey, get up that piano. Come spit this funky shit. And all of a sudden, bah, woke up quick at about noon. Just knew that I had to be in Compton soon. I gotta get drunk before the day begins. Before my mother starts bitching about my friends. About to go and damn near went blind. Young niggas at the pad throwing up gang signs. Ran in the house and grabbed my clip. With the Mac-10 on the side of my hip. That was the first hip-hop song I ever heard. Yeah. And that was that moment of... What the fuck is this, dude? Like, I couldn't believe, like, I, I had never heard anything like this before. And immediately, maybe it got to, like, the first chorus. Boys in the hood are always hard. And then, like, he stops and he goes, all right, that's enough. And I'm like, no, you got to just play it. Keep playing it. And he goes, no, I'm not going to get in trouble because you want to listen to this, you know? <laughs> but, but like I said, shout out to him because he, he still let me listen to it. And that is where my love for hip-hop starts. Because that moment of like, I don't know what this is, but I want to know what it is. And that's that was the seed that was planted in how I got into hip-hop. That's a dope origin story, you know? Like, honestly, about how you kind of got into the culture of hip-hop and your own kind of personal origin with family. Yeah. And obviously, like, you know, Rob kind of mentioned it, that your stage name, Acosta the Man, you know, obviously there's got to be a story behind that. What, uh, you know, kind of significance does it hold for you, that stage name, Acosta the Man, and, and you know, why uh, did you decide on that name? So there's kind of, there's like multiple kind of uh, connections to this. So um, my last name is Acosta, A-C-O-S-T-A. And... Um, one album that I can safely say is probably my number one album. My number one favorite album of all time, my most influential album, was is um, Mad Villainy by Mad Lib and MF Doom. There is a line where MF Doom says, and they say he accosted the man with the sliced wig. But when you listen to it, it sounds like he says, Acosta the man. And I was like, oh, my last name is Acosta. And people, whenever they say my name, they say Acosta. I'm like, oh, Acosta the man. And also like, there was like this little thing where it's like, uh, my ex-partner, Whenever we would get flirty, they would be like, oh, Acosta is accosting me, you know? And so, and so like, I was like, this name keeps coming back. My last name, Acosta, Acosta, Acosta. And it was like, and hearing Doom say, and they say, he accosted the man. And I'm like, and at first I was kind of like, is that too long? But then I realized like, oh, there's R.A. the Rugged Man and Jedi Mind Tricks, like multi-syllable names. And I'm like, I think this could work. And so literally I just added an extra C to my last name and put the man. And I thought about putting an H at the end of it, but I was like, nah, it might be a little too much at the, uh, at the end of Acosta. 
And I was like, no, just like literally like my last name and extra C and the man. And that's where my name comes from. That's dope. That's a dope origin. <laughs> yeah, thank you. That's <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so your first album is that you get into heavy is, is Easy Does It. Yes. So take us down this timeline of this trajectory of how you start from there, because I think that's a pretty good entry point, and then you slowly get into underground hip-hop. Because right. I think very few people initially, their first entryway is into underground hip-hop. You right. kind of find your way into yeah. it, just like you find your way into a secret bar sure. or a club or something. And it's funny you put it like that, because like my discovery... To, so, for the longest time, what I listened to was just whatever was on the radio. Mm -hmm. So I knew Tupac very well. I knew Biggie very well. Um... Even like New Jack Swing or what, whatever was on the radio in the late 90s, that's all I knew. And I didn't really know that much underground. Like I kind of had an idea of underground with, I mean, they're not underground by any means, but like artists like Cypress Hill or even like the Beastie Boys where it was like, oh, this sounds different than the West Coast G-Funk I'm used to. Mm -hmm. So, and that kind of gave me the idea of like, oh, I can, you know, hip hop can be different. But then when I was about 13, I get bored and I'm like, dude, hip hop just sounds the same. It just, it all sounds the same to me. And then at the age of 13, that's, how, that's where I got into punk. Mm -hmm. And from 13, I mean, I guess 13 to now, but like there was a period where all I listened to was punk. And I was about whatever age I was as a freshman in high school. And I remember I was sitting in math class and I was talking to somebody there and I was like, yeah, man, you know, I used to listen to hip hop, but like it all kind of sounds the same. And, you know, I kind of stopped listening to it, blah, blah, blah. And there was this white kid who sat in front of me and he turns around and goes, nah, man, it's because you don't listen to underground. And I was like, underground? What do you mean? He's like, you don't listen to underground hip hop. And I'm like, what? Like, like tribe? Or he's like, no, man, underground hip hop. And he's like, and I'm like, what the hell do you mean? He's like, I'm gonna burn you a CD. Okay. He's like, well, you listen to it? I'm like, yeah, sure. Next day he shows up and I didn't know this existed. Apparently, I don't know. Please tell me if you guys knew this existed, but apparently there was a thing like a thing called MP3 CDs. Yeah. We're like basically, yeah, it was like a hundred yeah, songs on like one CD. Exactly. Yeah. And so it was like this CD that had like the space of like a DVD. So it had oh, like, wow, yeah. yeah. So you could put like hundreds of songs on there. Right. And he's like, I burned this for you. And I'm like, all right, cool. I'll listen to it. Because anytime somebody handed me new music, I listened to it. Mm -hmm. And the great thing about the MP3 CD was when you put it in the computer, the names of the artist and the song comes right. up. And I put the CD in and it's loading and bam, this war and peace novel of artists just shows up. And I'm like scrolling through. I'm like, Jesus Christ, how many songs are on here? Right. And I'm like, Master Ace. Jedi Mind Trick. Jedi Mind Tricks, okay. Uh, Most Dev, Black Star. The Roots. Okay, whatever, and I just hit shuffle. And that's how I got into Underground. Like, that's how I discovered black on both sides that's how i discovered disposable art that's how i discovered just everything that was on there i was just like whole, and i remember listening to this and thinking 
this is what I have been looking for. This is the thing that I've been looking for because I wanted something different. I wanted something that sounded different. I wanted something that didn't sample the same James Brown song. And another thing that actually like accidentally helped was there was this kid I knew in high school and he was a huge hip hop head. Like he was a part of the underground and all that shit. And he wore a shirt that was a black shirt and just had white text and it said, Jay Dilla changed my life. And I'm like, and you know, I had an idea of like, you know, hip hop at that time. And I thought it was like a nickname of Jam Master Jay that I didn't know. And then later on I find out like, oh, wait a minute. I know who the far side are. This dude produced for the far side. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, who's this Jay Dilla guy? And I remember, I mean, I don't know what the statute of limitations is to this, but I remember going on to like LimeWire or Kazaa or whatever it was I was using at the time. <laughs> and I just typed in Jay Dilla and the first thing that, and I was like, at this point I was already, I think a senior in high school or was getting a little bit older. And I type in Jay Dilla and the first thing that pops up is donuts. Mm. And I'm like, okay, cool. And I download it. I'm like, I'm either going to destroy my computer or have some new music. Obviously, with me having a Jay Dilla tattoo, I had some great music, you know? <laughs> so that's kind of like how I kind of fell down the rabbit hole of underground and where it all kind of started. Definitely, man. You know, like, I mean, like, I think it's really, I think for people our age and for family our age, you know, People who are like in their late twenties or early thirties, like us, you yeah. know, that was such our our entryway yeah. into underground hip hop was through the blogs, was through oh sure, um, you know, through LimeWire, stealing music, yeah, stealing music, you know. And for the kids out there listening, do not steal your music. Make sure you purchase and support your local artist. <laughs> Anyways, unless it's on a major steal label, that, steal that corporate artist though. You <laughs> yeah, you can see the those major labels. Um, but I think you know, for so many of us, you know, that was our. That was our entryway. Yeah, absolutely. Because we kind of caught that tail end. You know, that was at the point when people were moving away from buying physical records and people yep. were going, that was the iTunes era. That was the LimeWire era. Right. Where people were sharing music, file sharing and stuff like that. So you're listening to all these different artists who just, like, all underground legends. You know, yeah. Master Ace, The Roots, Black Star, yeah. Mos Def, Ari the Rugged Man, you know. Yeah. Little Brother, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And, um... All this plays, all this, needless to say, plays an influence in your music. Yeah. You can hear that. And, you know, you've been making music in Riverside, you know, for the past several years. And I kind of wanted you to go in a little bit on these influences. You know, like when one listens to your music, um, it stands out from your contemporaries on yeah. the West Coast. Like your production is distinctively this boom bap, boom bap production. And it brings back the memories of, like you said, like artists like Jedi Mind Tricks, MF Doom, Gangstar. Um, you know, artists like that. And I kind of wanted to say, you know, like what, um, what inspired your sound aside from the artists that you listen to, you yeah. know, like, cause, cause most, a lot of producers on the West coast don't make music like that. Sure. They don't make that's not really their jam for the most yeah. part, you know? So I wanted to ask, you know, like, um, what inspired you to kind of go that route with the production and what was the motivation for you to take this active role from going from like a listener to being like an active participant in the music. I think one of the big things was like hearing sound or hearing music that because like I, I am a huge fan of 
horror cult exploitation films. I absolutely like. I am obsessed. Like like I told you earlier, the three things that I could talk about all day are horror movies, hip hop, and punk. And realizing that there were moments that I thought, oh, there. If you can sample soul, if you can sample jazz, you can sample a soundtrack. And for me, the artists that had like that dark atmospheric style of music, that was really what influenced me. And for me, I feel like my style is very much like, if you can play this during a scene in a horror movie, it kind of fits or yeah. like an exploitation film or something. Basically like I, I feel because a lot of the times I've watched things like maybe like rhythm roulette or something where people are making beats and there's such a heavy focus on the drums, which obviously the drums are important, especially in boom bap. But for me, I don't look for drums until I have the perfect sample and I've chopped it up how I want it to sound. The drums come last for me. Like, so it's like, I want to find that sample that makes me go, oh shit. You yeah. know, like that really gives me that atmospheric kind of puts you in a, it kind of puts you somewhere where you can feel the music and you can picture something in your head. You know, it's like, I would much rather sample, you know, like a John Carpenter soundtrack than, you know, some like soul or R&B. Now, granted, there are some like soul and R&B songs that are a little bit slower and you can make it atmospheric. But for me, it's like, I my influences make these make the beat more than just the beat mm -hmm. like it's something that where you can play it in the background and it sounds like something that was on a soundtrack like that is my key thing like i want to create a sound that could be in a movie soundtrack i had a quick question just because sure. you mentioned me like i'm just curious of course about like when you mentioned punk yeah and uh you mentioned sampling and i just know from attending a, a, quite a few shows in my time too sure. that there's a lot of sampling also in like punk and like hardcore and like beat down kind of scenes yep. that they do a lot like do you, do you ever find yourself kind of like even when because you mentioned like for a number of years maybe you weren't like listening to as much hip-hop did you find that like even then you were still like finding a love of sampling even when you were like performing in like a punk band finding use for sampling getting it's, was that formative at all or? It's, it's funny you mentioned that because like when I was in the hardcore band that was when I wanted to get into beat making right. and so there was a lot of times where I would be like listening to a hardcore band and there'd be something in there like I, I mean I, I was about to say what I wanted to use but I'm like I don't want anybody to take it but, <laughs> but like there are some like hardcore bands where like they have like an introduction or like the vocal or the vocalist says something or maybe there's like a little feedback that I can use as a background sound and there was a lot of times where we would play shows with bands that weren't just hardcore. There were different subgenres of punk. And sometimes they would have like little samplers and they would introduce their songs that way. And that kind of lit a fire under my ass even more to be like, oh, there is. Because w one thing that I have always made the argument is that punk and hip hop are the same genre, just different styles of music. Right. They're both music created by... Uh, less fortunate individuals with music with instruments they probably stole. Yeah, music of struggle. <laughs> exactly, it's music of struggle, go. you know? And so it's just like, to me, I always saw that correlation. I always saw that connection. And so for me, that really lit that fire that made me go, oh, I can love both and I can utilize this. And so, yeah, there have been a lot of times where I'm listening to, like, um, I can't remember what Beastie Boys song, but they sample the Bad Brains really quick mm -hmm. of uh, the song The Big Takeover. 
And just really quick, but it's like, if you know that song, you immediately know, oh, that's the Bad Brains Big Takeover. And so that really made me go, I can do this and still love both. And so, yeah, there was definitely a, a connection of sampling when I was in the band, when I was in the hardcore band. Awesome. You know, it's, it's, um, you bring up Bad Brains and it kind of, it reminds me, um, with your production, I can't help but just like, you, you bring up like this, um, when you're producing your beats, like you make this atmospheric cinematic sound. Oh, thank you. To your production. And it, uh, I just can't help but bring the comparisons of Jedi mind tricks and stoop, oh, stoop the enemy sure. of mankind because Jedi mind tricks, all the like Vinny Paz always like cites a lot of punk influence and like bad brains himself, you know? Yeah. So like, I kind of wanted to ask, you know, like, were there any particular producers that like influenced that like very like, dark creepy you know like cinematic quality that you always strive to incorporate in your sound it's you know it's funny you mention that because like there have been a number of times where um fans or other artists are like oh you sound like derringer the producer for griselda or like oh you sound like uh you know like your beat sounds like something that vinnie paz can rap over and blah blah, blah. if i had to say the person who i I don't I don't try to rip anybody off, but like if I was to say there was a producer that I'm like, oh yes, I'm trying to rip you off, my friend, it would have to be DJ Mux. Cause DJ Muggs, like Cypress Hill was that first introduction of like, oh, this sounds like those movies I watch. Like this is dark and it's gritty and they're talking about like violent shit, and it's like these are like little horror movies, you know? And it's just like DJ Mug's style very much has that dark, gritty, you can put this in an atmospheric element. You can put this in a horror movie soundtrack. Absolutely. And that is definitely, that's one of the producers, you know? But the thing is that like when it comes to sound, I would say DJ Muggs, but like overall like influential producers that have made me go, oh, you can do different shit. Um, MF Doom is an obvious one because I mean, I mean, fuck the guy sampled Scooby Doo, so it's like you, know, <laughs> you can do this shit. And so like, but like having that lo-fi style before lo-fi became what it is now, you know. And so it's like that gritty lo-fi style was like, oh, it doesn't have to be polished. And that was that MF Doom style. Um, that's one from People Under the Stairs, and it's like, really? yeah, it's just like, oh, this dude like is trying to find something that is like unique to him he's not trying to fit into a mold he's not trying to do anything other than oh this is a best one beat and that made me go oh i want to make an acosta man beat you know and so you know and obviously the focus on the sample comes first it comes my influence of madlib and just very much just like if you have a sample and it sounds good then that's the key thing the drums can come if there aren't any drums but if that sample is tight you got yourself a good beat so yeah it's like definitely like a mix of it but like if i had to say there was um a producer who i, I would i guess i say rip off would be dj mugs like for sure for sure <laughs> no doubt man hey thank but thank you for sharing you know like, oh, yeah. those influences man you know because it's it's really you know everything comes from something you know like right. you, know, we, you know we all have our influences you know and it's um it's really cool how you take those influences and you make that sound your own. It's true. It's that is truly your sound. I feel like, yeah. and um, you know, you kind of said this earlier, but like um, for anyone that follows you, like on like social media, like they know that um, or knows your music, 
it goes without saying that uh, you're not just a, ho- a huge horror movie fan. You're just a big fan of cinema in yes. general. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, like, like an off off record. You know, we we, we were talking. Yeah. For a long time about yes, movies. Yes, absolutely. You know, yeah. but, uh, but you regularly sample, you know, from rare, obscure sources, whether that's from film or, you know, different kind of soundtracks. I kind of wanted to ask you, you know, tell us a little bit about your love of film. Um, tell us, like, particularly horror, and then also how you started incorporating that into your music. So, my, like, my love for horror started at a really young age. And funny enough, it actually started around the time that I got into hip-hop. It was around, like, six, seven years old. Mm. And because... So when I was a kid, when I was in elementary school, I don't know if schools still do this, but like the elementary school that I went to, they did tracks. So it was like green track was off during this chunk of the year and blue track was off. And so I was in blue track and our summer break was from like late September to like early November. Mm -hmm. So I had the entire month of October off. Oh. And so being, you know, six, seven years old, a working class family where both my parents work and my grandma would watch me and my grandma was watching all the other grandkids. It was like, I just want to be left alone and I just wanted to like watch movies. And like, I accidentally stumbled upon horror movies because I was in, you know, I was at my grandma's house and I went into one of the rooms at her house and I just turned on the TV and I'm flipping through the channels and I suddenly see like a black and white monster. And I'm like, whoa, what is this? <laughs> and my earliest recollection of the first horror movie I watched, if I can remember correctly, it was a Universal Monster movie, that's for sure. It was either The Mummy or The Creature from the Black Lagoon. It was one of those two. Oh. And that's where it like started. And the funny thing is, is that like we kind of touched on it earlier, you and I, about like the love of cinema and like Chicano culture or just Latin culture. Like we love movies. And so like my family has always loved movies and hearing my relatives talk about movies in a way, like none of them were like, you know, very critical about it to where like they broke the movie down and they really talked about it. It was just like, Oh, I liked it or I didn't like it. And they talked about it and everybody had a different taste and everybody had a different thing that they liked. And so for me, it was like, I love this spooky shit, (laughs) but it seems like there's so much more to this spooky shit than just these black and white monsters. And so this love for cinema and horror is what kind of branched me out and made me realize like, oh, there's so much more to this horror genre, like exploitation films. Not all of them are horror, but they connect to the horror culture because they were both looked down upon. Mm-hmm. Like both like exploitation films, whether they were black exploitation, nun exploitation, Nazi exploitation, whatever. Like these exploitation films were seen as like bottom barrel trash, but horror was always seen as that. And so it kind of correlated. And so my love for cinema really began with, well, these mainstream movies aren't really my thing. I mean, some of them are good, but like. I'd much rather watch this dude who doesn't have legs and have a wheelchair with guns on it. Like, yeah, this guy. Let's watch Mr. No Legs, you know? Which is a real movie, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? But, like, I'd much rather watch these trashy movies because, like, I come from the philosophy of there's no such thing as a bad movie. There's just a boring movie. Right. And it doesn't matter if you can see the string on the flying saucer like Plan 9 from Outer Space <laughs> or if you can see the zipper of the monster like uh, Horror at Party Beach, whatever. I love these trashy movies and that really expanded my horizon of, you know, like John Waters says, if you can enjoy this 
trashy. If you can enjoy lowbrow art, you can enjoy highbrow art. You can appreciate them both because you've seen the worst of it and you can also see the best of it and you can keep, you know, keep them together. You can put the two together and realize, oh, just because it looks like shit doesn't mean that it is shit, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, yeah, like my love for cinema has been many many years in the making like ever since i was i was very very young when i got into got into movies and it's been a very big part of my life and like you said it's definitely a big part of my music because if you listen to any of the most recent projects that i have i have like little snippets that intro that are introduced with like little movie quotes Mm -hmm. you know you obviously mentioned how important it was like the formative experiences of just like stumbling on it at your grandma's house and and all of that good stuff i mean was there anybody growing up that you shared you know that same love that someone that kind of like helped you get into the scene or was was it all just kind of just like a self uh self exploration discovery it was all me because honestly it like i was the only person who got into horror movies and there was no one there to like introduce these to me um, another thing that played a big part that made me realize that like, oh, you can appreciate these, you know, quote unquote, bad movies is that my grandpa loves these like really low budget narco traficante movies. <laughs> like he loves this shit. And it's just like, dude, these movies look terrible, but he right. loves them. And like that made me understand like, oh, you can appreciate this, you know? Sure. But yeah, like there wasn't anybody who said, hey, here's frankenstein or something like there was nobody there there was something that i got into and it just like clicked for me you know and so this was something that i got into myself and i think that's why it matters so much to me because this was the thing that that i discovered on my own because hip-hop as much as i absolutely love it technically my cousin got me into it Mm-hmm. And you know, but like horror movies, this was something I got into. This was something I stumbled upon. This was something that I built a passion for. So yeah, this was something that, cool. yeah, yeah, this was something that I did all to my, all for myself. You know, it's funny because like you know, I, as we were talking before, before we got on the interview, you know, like yeah. I myself, I'm a huge horror fan too. Yeah, real big in the Godzilla kaiju films, and for I think most people listening to probably around our age, but if anyone here is younger, I don't think people understand how hard it was to be a nerd. Oh my god! And find yes, this dude. shit on your own because you 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 said like yo this is something you find on your own and back in the nineties it was hard finding this stuff man you had to comb through mm-hmm. the TV guide you had to go to the blockbusters or the mom and pop rental spaces it wasn't like now where you can just Google stuff yeah. you could just hop on Netflix or Disney Plus or whatever HBO Max whatever you're hop streaming, on Reddit you know. get a list of yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Yeah. You know, there wasn't YouTube where you can look up you know like. Um, compilations of yeah. like the bra- the greatest horror movies or these reviewers that review movies like you had to find this shit on your own yep and like you said it's hard to connect with people too As, no and that's the thing it's just like for me i had to like make time for this shit because i would always go home for, like when i was in high school we used to meet up at, a, at one of my friend's house who lived like i want to say like a block away from my house so mm-hmm. he was walking distance from me and if we hung out on a saturday I would be like, hey, you know what? My mom wants me home before the sun goes down. So, like, I got to go. And I would get into the house and my mom would be like, oh, Miko, you're home early. I'm like, oh, yeah, I just wanted to come home. I left early because I wanted to watch the Saturday Night Creature feature on the Public Access channel <laughs> or on MeTV. And, like, for me, you know, um, having that, like, oh, going out of my way to try to find this thing. Or, like, one thing that really changed my life for for forever and ever was 
You wouldn't believe it, but Bravo had a program. <laughs> you already know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Bravo had the 100 scariest movie moments. And I love this shit because they have just like a straight rip from the from TV on YouTube. And so you're seeing like the the hanging scene from Suspiria. And on the bottom third or the lower third is like an ad for the real Housewives of Orange County. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's just like this shit changed my life because it was like these these there was a lot of movies on there that I had already heard or I'd already seen, but a lot that I had not. And I remember when I was a kid, I found out what time it was on and where I could find it. It didn't matter what I was doing. It didn't matter where I was. I'm not missing the 100... Because at that time, I didn't know that YouTube was going to have the entire series. Right. I didn't know that was going to be a thing. This is pre-YouTube. Exactly. And so it was just like, at that time, I was like, I need to watch this. And I remember being, shit, maybe like, 13, 12, 13, something like that. And 2004, around that time. 2004, so I was 13. And so I was like, I had a list of like movies I did had not seen. And so when they talked about it, I would just write it down really quick. And I would try to find it. And one thing that actually like helped me watch those movies was at one point, Netflix was fucking awesome. Because <laughs> my God, like I remember like the streaming service, that's how I first watched Eraserhead. And a lot of the movies that um, I saw on the 100 Scariest Movie Moments, I was able to order on the DVD. So that's how I watched a lot of movies. Granted, I should not have watched at that age, but still I was able to order them and be like, oh shit, this is that movie. This is number 87. Like, okay, cool. And like, you know, and I, that's how I watched those movies. And so, yeah, like finding them was so much harder. Like I love Shudder. It's my favorite streaming service. But like a part of me is like, I have now reached that point where it's like, eh, it's on Shutter. I'll watch it later. Mm. But when I was younger, it was like, I made time for this shit. Right. I used to walk to, you know, um, it, it's so funny story. So the high school that I went to, um, my tia used to work there. And so she, um, she worked in, you know, she worked in the classroom and my mom would give me lunch money. But then my tia would find me and she'd be like, oh, mijo. I have tamales or, oh, I have some, you know, cup noodles or whatever. And the money that my mom gave me, I would just pocket that shit and whatever my auntie had, that was lunch. And then on Fridays, I lived a block away from a video store and like a mile and a half from a Best Buy. And so I would walk to the Best Buy and buy movies <laughs> that I wanted to like own. Mm -hmm. And then I would go to the video store and rent movies that I'm like, I don't know if I want to buy this, so let me watch it. And so that's how I kind of accumulated my collection because at that time, that's how you got those movies. Yeah. Best Buy had a great collection of oh, horror back movies. back in the day. Oh, yeah. oh, oh my yeah. God, yeah. And that's what I'm saying. Like going to a video store, that was an experience that was just like, I made time to do this. I have memories of being like 16 years old, staying up till 2 a.m., eating a pint of ice cream and watching horror movies. <laughs> oh, yeah. And that, that was it. But like, like I said, now it's just it's so readily available that it's like, yeah, I'll watch it eventually. It. Yeah, there's so much now. Yeah, dude, and like I try to watch like a movie a day, but even then, it sucks because I have moments where I'm like, ah, it's eleven o'clock. I got work tomorrow. Like I'll finish this later. And it's just like, <laughs> dude, I used to like have to get up for school the next day at like seven o'clock, and I'd be like, Fuck, I stood up watching. I don't fucking know blood and black lace. And I'm like, Oh God, you know, like I'm so tired, but like, it's totally worth it. But now it's so readily available that I can just be like, yeah, I'll watch it later. You know? <laughs> so yeah, it's just, it's so weird to kind of see that. 
you know, you're talking about like uh, uh, movies that you probably shouldn't have been watching when you're that age, and uh, there's a particular story I want you to look, uh, that you said. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a little film out there, um, little little small independent film called uh, Cannibal Holocaust. Oh, maybe you, maybe you've heard of it. Cannibal Holocaust. <laughs> but, uh, tell, tell us that story. Thanks okay. for having me, guys. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> so okay, so here's the thing. So so I already had like a kind of an idea of like. I can't even say underground horror, but just like lesser known horror movies. I had a friend in high school and she, what the knowledge that I have now of horror, she had in like as a senior in high school. And one day she walks in wearing a cannibal Ferox shirt. And I'm like, oh, that's one of those Italian horror movies. And she goes, yeah, but this one's fake. I'm like, what do you mean it's fake? She's like, oh, like the deaths aren't real. I'm like, I mean, yeah, it's a movie. She's like, well, no, there's a movie where like all the deaths are real. Like, what do you mean? Like, like the people that you see die, like, it's, it's a snuff film. Like, it's a cannibal movie, but it's a snuff film. And I'm like, what the, f- what are you talking about? She's like, oh, there's a movie called Cannibal Holocaust. And immediately, like, that name, Cannibal Holocaust, I'm like, oh, okay, that's, that sounds really scary, you know? Yeah. And, but, like, the thing is, is that, like, it was just so funny that, like, she had such a vast knowledge of horror. And a part of me looking back is like, I think she was fucking with me, you know, telling me that like the whole thing was like real death and all that. And there used to be like the Virgin record label used to have a Virgin mega store. It was like a Sam Goody, but like double. And um, I remember going through the horror section and I saw Cannibal Holocaust and I'm like, Oh my God! Can you? Can they do that? Can they sell? Can this? they sell that? No. No. Keep in mind. What, tell them what the box. It was looked this like thick that. ass DVD box, and like I remember, like I was hesitant to grab it, and I pull it out, and I look at the cover, and there is like a decomposed face with a slack jaw, and it says, "The movie that goes all the way. No one under the age of eighteen is allowed to watch this. Banned in forty two countries." And I'm like. And like, Im- so, yeah, <laughs> and immediately I like chills run down my spine and I'm like, oh, I have to watch this, <laughs> you know? but like, I didn't have money when I was, when I was there at the time and I put it back. I'm like, okay, if it's here next week, cause like, like I told you the money that my mom would give me, I would save it up and be like, I'm buying this movie. I the, save up the money that my mom gave me. And then. I call the Virgin Megastore and it's like I'm at a pay phone making a drug deal. And I'm like, hi, hi, hi um, do, you, do you guys, do you guys have um, a Cannibal Holocaust? Cannibal Holocaust? Yeah, hold on. Yeah, hello? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, we got it. Okay, um, can, can, you guys, can you guys hold it for me? Oh yeah, but we can only hold it for twenty four hours. No, 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 no. I'll, I'll, I'll be there today. I'll be there. To, I'll be there today, like around five. All right. Yeah. Can I have your name? Uh, 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 JT. Is it JT? Yeah, yeah. JT. Like, all right, JT. We'll hold it for you. Um, you're over the age of eighteen, right? Yes. <laughs> you know, three second pause. Yeah. It's like the three longest seconds in, in, in telephone history. Yeah. I'm just like, yes. And he's like, all right, man. We'll have it here for you. I'm like, all right, cool. And like school ends and I already have my license and I immediately, like my mom told me the first year I got my license, you can drive anywhere. Just don't take the freeway. My ass took the freeway. I didn't care. <laughs> like I just, I drove, I, needed, yeah. I drove from Riverside to the, the Virgin Maker store was in Ontario, which is like a neighboring uh, town in um, the Inland Empire. 
drove all the way there and I knew where to park to go straight to the Virgin Mango store. Like, I felt like I should have been wearing like a trench coat and sunglasses, dude. <laughs> like, I was like, fuck, okay, all right, all right. And I go up there and I go up to the counter and there's this woman and she's like on the computer and I'm like, hey, um, do you guys have a movie for uh, JT? And she's like, oh yeah, uh, oh yeah, here we go. And she pulls it out. And in my mind, she's gonna pull out like a brown paper bag and she's gonna be like, do you know what you have? You know? <laughs> and so she like, she it's it's in like one of the plastic Virgin Megastore bags. She pulls it out and she looks at it and goes, oof, okay, yeah, have fun with that, buddy. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, and then she's, and then like, I already approved that I was over the age of 18, so she didn't ask me. And so I pay, I paid in cash, like a good drug deal. And, and like, I, I get the movie and this is when I was really into punk. And so I had like a battle vest with patches and I tucked it in my vest and I book it. Like I'm power walking to my car and like, I'm looking at it and I'm like, and there was a moment where I'm like, fuck, should I just take this back? Like, I think I should return this. Like, I don't know if I should have this. And I'm like, no, 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 you bought it. It'll be weird if you don't have it. Like, it'd be really weird if you went back in there and you returned it. And so I go home and I don't watch it right away. I wait until it's like, I wait until I hear my mom and my dad say, good night, mijo. As soon as they tell me that, I'm just like, fuck, all right, cool. And I pop the movie in and this movie fucks me up. Like, I would much rather have had my mom walk in on me watching porn than watching this shit, dude. Like, I, damn. It was, it's, it's, it's a rough watch. <laughs> I haven't watched it, so I'm, I think I will avoid this one. Oh my God. It's, it's a rough movie. It's a rough watch, dude. And so, but here's the thing. It got to the point where I was like, if I'm going down, I'm taking people down with me. So anybody who would watch it with me, I would show it to them. And I remember this was like the very, very beginnings of like, we weren't even like a band. We were literally just like a couple friends who would get together and just play instruments poorly. And I was like, hey, I got this movie. Like, do you guys want to watch it? And they'd be like, yeah, sure. What is it? I'm like, oh, it's called Cannibal Holocaust. And like, wow, okay, cool. Let's watch it. And as we're watching the movie, it goes from, what the fuck is this shit? To, no, seriously, what is this shit? To, JT, what the fuck are you making us watch, dude? And like once it ended, I was basically like a breath away from going like you are all now on a list with me, okay? <laughs> like so just like I am not going down by myself. And like it's just it's so crazy like this movie had such an impact on me. And like I remember rewatching it as an adult and I'm like, you know, I'm starting to think that maybe my friend was fucking with me, you know? So it's just like and realizing like, oh, I think maybe what this movie's popularity is just because of the, like, the backstory and all this shit. Like all the behind the scenes shit and that's what made it what it is. Because there's some other Italian cannibal movies that are just as fucked up. And some of them are a little bit better. But this movie, that was a movie. Like I remember having it for so long and just like, and I remember even like watching the bonus features to kind of be like, please tell me this is fake. <laughs> like please tell me, give me something that lets me know that this is fucking fake, you know? And so, yeah, dude, it's just, it's so crazy, like, watching this. And even, you know, at a younger age, realizing that, like, okay, the animal deaths were real, but everything else is fake. It still really resonated with me. And so, yeah, and, like, and going back to, like, music and movies, hearing that beautiful intro... 
introduction song is gorgeous. And like, I look back and I'm like, damn dude, like I, I want to sample shit like that, you know? Up, yeah. yeah, and so it's just like, it's so funny like to hear that and be like, oh shit. Like at first I was like, how bad can this movie be? That's a really pretty intro. Boy, howdy, was I wrong, you know? <laughs> I felt this entire conversation when you told me the shit was fake. I was like sitting here this entire time. Like, Are we all just like talking about a snuff film right now? I was like, yo, what is going on? But I'm glad. It's like I'm, I'm secretly just like very appreciative that I was like, oh yeah, no, no. Like I said, I immediately found like I immediately found out that you know it was fake because I watched all the bonus features like I do right. with every movie that I own. But it wasn't until years later that I was like, I thought about how I heard about the movie and I realized, oh, I think either my friend was gullible. Or she was fucking with me, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. And for the for the people at home that either aren't familiar with horror movies or they're not going to take the time to watch this movie, which probably a good choice. Yeah, 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 yeah I agree. Um, the, part of the whole appeal of this film is, is that, like, in the 80s when this movie came out, like, the filmmaker actually had the goat, was brought to court and had to prove yes. to the court that he didn't murder his crew yeah, cause he told, while filming. He told everybody in the movie... You're supposed to be dead. So for a year, you're not allowed to do press junkets, do other movies. I will pay you enough to where you can be all right, but you're not allowed to do anything. And so because they were out of the limelight and because they basically signed a contract saying that I won't do any other movies, this made people go, oh, shit. I really think this is a snuff film because nobody has heard because this was back in the 70s. Right. You know, like this is one of those things where it's like, you know, you can't just like Google somebody. You can't right. just like look up their Instagram page or whatever. It's like, oh, no, nobody has heard of these people for a year. Maybe they really are dead. It yeah. was almost like Blair Witch before Blair Witch. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, like, uh, whew, man, yeah, like talk about a... Talk about a fucking movie, man. Let me tell you. Yeah, not not a date night feature. Huh? <laughs> no, not gonna take home. Go home and be like, let's watch, let's watch this movie together. Yep. Not unless you ever want to get a, another date. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Woo, okay, so I guess you know. Um, yeah. Hey, man. If the if if the the person you bring home wants to watch Cannibal Holocaust, that might be a good thing because they might be into some freaky shit. Let me tell you. <laughs> Like a red flag or yeah. a really good flag. I have the weirdest boner right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, kind of moving on to the back into the music side yeah. of things, the not the non uh, snuff. Yeah, not snuff. Yeah. Uh, yo, back in 2020, you linked up with Cosmic Force. Oh yeah, homies of the show. Shout out, the shout out, uh, yep. and you contributed production to their third mixtape, "Sound of a Weapon." Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about the backstory about how you came on that project. How did you link up with Jag and Threat, and what was the recording process like for that project? So here's so here's a funny story. So um, the way that I linked up with Jag was so he follows he followed me on Instagram. Mm -hmm. I looked at his Instagram page and I saw he had like thousands of followers, and I'm like. This is some rapper who's going to follow me. I follow him and then he's going to unfollow me. I'm like, whatever. And I don't follow him right away. 
And then I get a DM from him and it was one of those like mass DMs saying, hey, check out my new single, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, fuck it, let me shoot my shot. And I'm like, hey man, I really like this single that you sent me. I'm a beat maker, producer. How about I send you some beats? I have, I have one particular beat that I think you will really fit with. And he goes, yeah, man, shoot it towards me. I'm like, okay, cool. He sends me his email. I actually do follow him back. And then I send it to him. And he replies back. He's like, yo, this beat fucking bangs. Like, let's do this. And that beat turned out to be suspect. And vivo. There's an Inland Empire. A cost of the man on the production. I'm the suspect. I got plumas in my hair, homie. Turn my headphones up, uh. Maria seat is up. How He's the rapper killer. Call him baby lane, leave him covered in blood. Like Tupac's death row chain. That night he was slain in Las Vegas. The pastor at your church is an FBI agent. This section is dangerous at the park. Grab the yellow tape. I stay level-headed with the yellow gate. 707 if y'all look like me. Soccer's what we play. Morenos on the basketball courts. And of course some John Smiths attempt to patrol us, but they can't control us. I'm inland made. I don't take phone calls when I sit and create. Woke up from a dream. I was a slave inside a metaphysical plane. I'm skinny and I'm hungry with two French braids like a young Meek Mill. A revolutionary can't be killed. In the midst of warfare, I have these devils stuck and I'm the Yeah. And that was like, that was where that came from. That's where that started. And so from there, he was like, yo man, a lot of people are telling me that this beat slaps. Like, can we keep working together? And I'm like, yeah, dude, I like your style. I like what you do. Let's keep working. And so there was kind of like a mix of singles that I would produce for him. And, you know, there was some projects that I would, that we would kind of work together on. And then he's like, Hey, I got my boy native threat. Like maybe you can produce for him too, blah, blah, blah. And then I started working with threat. And then that's when they're like, Hey, we're putting out a project called sound of the weapon. Can you produce like a good chunk of them? You know, cause we have a bunch of producers, but like, we want you to, you know, produce a, little, a few, like a, a few of them. I'm like, yeah, sure. And I'm like, and that's kind of how it came. And then I was like, what are you looking for? Cause that's one thing. Whenever I work with an artist, I'm like, what are you looking for? What style you're trying to go for? Because I have my style. I have what I do. Mm -hmm. You tell me what you want, and I will do my version of what you are telling me. You know, and so yeah, that's kind of how it came about. Um, I've worked, I've worked with them so many times. I'm like, I can't remember what tracks are on Sound of a Weapon. Um. Oh, uh, well. I'm getting this pulled up right now. Yeah, please do. I was like, no, hold up. This is, we, got, we live in the era of the internet. This is not 2004 no longer. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know, I know several off the top of my head that yeah. I know for sure I want to talk about. So, oh, well, then, so, yeah, please so do. So two, two of them for sure. Um, one of them is uh, Another Day. And, ah, and the yes. other one is Shine On. So, yeah, so okay, I, one, yeah. okay, I'll, uh, okay, yeah. So, so, so like Another Day, they hit me up and they're like, hey, man, we want to make a beat that's a little bit more mellow. And I'm like, 
have you heard my shit? You know, so I'm just like, well, like, okay, what do you want to do? He's just like, we want something that's kind of like, oh, you can listen to it like on a Sunday, you're going to kind of cruise in, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, so in my mind, I, w- I want, I need to make a beat that sounds like cruising in a low rider on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, I'm digging through some samples and I hear this sample that has like this nice, like Rhodes kind of keyboard. And I'm like, oh, this is pretty chill. Like, yeah, let me do that. And I chopped up the sample, I added some drums, and I'm like, okay. And like the one thing, one thing that I do whenever I make a beat is I I kind of go with the Ernest Hemingway philosophy of write drunk, edit sober. <laughs> like I don't drink, but what I mean is that like I just go all out and I just make the beat. I don't think about it, I just do it. And then I shut it down. I don't listen to it. And then the next day I listen to it again, and that way I can get a listen to it with a fresh ears. Right. And I made the beat and I'm like, all right, this is really different than what I usually make, but all right, I'll listen to it tomorrow. And I'm like, oh shit, this actually sounds like chill, like very much like very mellow. Like I said, like I can picture somebody listening to this with their drop top low rider and cruising on a Sunday. And that's how that beat came about. And I sent it to them and they're like, dude, this is perfect. Uh-huh. Trying to live Trying to live my life Not the way God intended But the way my ancestors planted seeds and tended Ain't trying to spit impressive I don't do it for incentives I do it for my family I do it for my primos I do it for my aunties I do it for my deos Abuelitos Pueblo Unido For my Masawali in the campesinos Filipinos Sacrificing for survival Feeding ungrateful Americans Spiteful Talking about shit came here legally Like them pilgrims that raid pillage frequently Checking G, never get the hood out of me Popping in my sector Heart pump, blood of nomadic chichimecas I ain't ignorant to the fact We need more than love, sacrifice and fight We just trying to get by Smudging down with the smoke of cedar Offer flesh to our mother Just a sliver, singing songs to the river Iridescent duck feather Burning medicinal with the love of my life Under Donati light I connected with the land where I stand, rattle right with hand with my band. Grateful for the day I heard the wind say, live on another day, live on another day. Connected with the land where I stand, rattle right with hand with my band. Grateful for the day I heard the wind say, live on another day, live on another day. There's a couple little like edits that the engineer did, but like aside from that, like. That's that's basically it. So when you produced this, did you know that Azamali was going to be on? This? No, I did not. I did not know. I didn't know who he was, you know. And so, and Jag was like, "Oh yeah, our boy Azamali is going to be in." And I was just like, "Okay, cool, whatever." And I hear him, and I'm like, "Oh shit!" Like, yo, my man, like, really put the finishing touches on this shit. Yeah. I like it because, like, his his cadence, his vocal presentation, the way he raps, it's like this fits this beat, especially with the way that he's doing it. And so, yeah, like. I, his like his addition to that was incredible but yeah it was it was definitely one of those things where it's like this was a bit of a challenge because this is not something that i would normally do it's definitely out of your wheelhouse because like you know it's it definitely is in stark contrast to like what you normally produce sure i kind of wanted to go like also like on contrast that another track on that same album is uh, shine on shine on has a bit of a funny story um so 
So, okay, so Shine On is a bit of a funny story. So shout out to the producer Rojo Beats. Rojo hits me up and he's like, hey man, um, I want to put together like, like a little mini catalog for Jag. And this was way before Sound of a Weapon was ever done. And he's like, I want to put together like a little catalog and, you know, kind of send it his way and be like, yeah, use whatever beats you want, no charge, whatever. And I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah, let's do that. And so Rojo made three and I made three. Well, I made two, but then I had this one beat that I did not like. Mm-hmm. That I was like, it's okay, I guess. It's a bit of a throwaway beat. I don't plan to put it on a beat tape, but you know what? Maybe Jag can do something with this beat. I send it to him, and they're like, and ja- and I send it to, to Rojo, and then Rojo sends it to Jag, and then Jag's like, yo, thank you for the beats. I'm definitely going to use that beat Shine On. And I'm like, the throwaway beat? <laughs> America, 2020, babies born inside an ice camp, Guadalupe is trapped, cuffs on her hands, her first mother's day was spent inside a cage, centros of torture, detention centers, adelantos where they send us, that's where these John Smiths just hope to end us, and the Navajo Nation decimated, neglected by the Trump administration, that's the white virus terrorizing the planet, and fuck Joe Biden, and all of his cronies, free all of the homies, Chicanos and Morenos, Cambodians too Gun them down once they stand behind that podium booth Life for the two spirits been traumatic After making the contact with the English and Spanish Crippled or standing, you're a part of this action Able or disabled, handicapped, you're a part of this ejército fam The helicopter's still circling above our municipio But so are my relatives, a condor in the south In the north it's the eagle, we're still under attack By these blue-eyed people And how come you didn't like that one? I don't know. There was just something about it that I was just like, ah, there's just something about the beat that I just, I, it, I, I don't know. I, I like listening to it now. I'm like, oh I, yeah, I like it. But at the time I was like, I, I don't think I'm ever going to release this beat. Because when you listen to it, especially when the content that Jag and Threat ultimately yes. start, went with on that, talking yeah. about, you know, like, um, imprisonment yeah. along the border, you know, and it just, the lyrics just match that production so perfectly i mean it's, i think it's one of the most like emotionally charged tracks on that project sure i i think many people who are fans of cosmic force would say it's it's one if not the standout track on that album and that's what's funny is the fact that like i guess it kind of goes back to like my philosophy of like and i mean that really taught me a lesson because even though i thought it wasn't a great beat it was it turned out to be a bit of a standout track and it really taught me a lesson of like, don't throw away beats. Don't right. throw away your art. Because you never know, somebody might do something with it. It You might end up liking it later. Like, whatever. Because like I said before, you can just delete whatever you don't like. Or you could just hit refresh and then boom, you're like, it's you don't have to worry about it anymore. But yeah, it's just, it's one of those things where I didn't really think that it was going to be what it is. Mm-hmm. 
And it ended up becoming this track that not only stood out, but Jag telling me like, oh shit, like, yeah, people really like this. And yeah, this really inspired me, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, wow, dude, like, I feel like such a fool for thinking like this was a throwaway beat that did not, that I was literally was just going to sit in my computer hard drive forever and ever. And it was just kind of this like, yeah, let's see if you can do something with it. That's crazy that that beat was like a hair away from just oh my god yes yeah. just not existing collecting yeah. digital dust yeah essentially but yeah it's just it's so wild that it's just like yeah it was really it was very very close to just still sitting in my hard drive right right people right place right time it yeah. always it comes down to it you know yep man th- thank you for producing that track definitely one of my favorite you know on that project along with another day oh you know? th- yeah man no thank you for listening to it and thank you for you know for liking it because honestly working on that project was a lot of fun like i said i wish i could remember all the tracks that i produced on there but it's like there's so many tracks i've done for jag and threat and cosmic force that like it all kind of gets muddied and i forget what tracks are on what project Oh, well, I don't believe you. I want to say uh, you produced the, the title track too, like "Sound of a Weapon." Actually, I believe yeah. I believe I did. Yeah. Are there any other notable artists that you've had uh, good experiences producing for? Um, yeah, quite a few. I mean, well, that's the thing. Like when it comes to producing for artists, um, I sometimes have like random artists who hit me up, and I'm like, okay, like I like your style. Sure, why not? Let's work. But like consistently working, there are very, very few. There's definitely, like I said, Cosmic Force, Jag and Threat, um, Chop the Father out in Texas, Navy Jones Locker and D-Rel. Um, yeah, these, these are just artists that I'm like, I really like your style. I like what you do and I want to keep working with you. And like, there's not a whole lot of artists that I have had that like, are, like we mesh, like they, we, it just like the... the there's just synergy between us and it works. Yeah. And so those are like the handful of artists. Like there's been a few random ones here and there, but like those were like the artists that it was like, Oh shit. Like, yes. Like we work consistently, you know, like this works very well for what I do and how they rap. Absolutely. You know, I tell, uh, I tell Jack this all the time that I pretty much consider you like the third member. You know, because like your sound, you really capture their sound and have it down to a science. Really. I appreciate that. Yeah. I love working with them because in all honesty, it's like with my style of beat making and their style of rapping, it's just like, you wouldn't think it would work, but it does. And it works really well. And I love working with those dudes, man. Shout out to them. Honestly, I appreciate them very, very much. Yeah, shout, shout out to Jack Threads. Yeah. Straight yeah. up. So, um, you know, I wasn't sure where the where the uh, fit this one in, but I think we just got to put it here since we're on hip hop. You know, please like, do. We got that old Wu Tang. Ah, yes. <laughs> please, let's talk about what. Let's let's talk about Wu Tang. Because <laughs> goddamn it, I have opinions. I have <laughs> There's a lot I of mean, so, I mean, so like, where should we begin? Should we? Should we go? Should we begin with the best Wu Tang album, or should we, or with the best solo? Album? I was about to say, I was like, there's only one best Wu Tang <laughs> album. Like, no disrespect to Wu Tang, but like everything after Thirty Six Chambers is mid. In I my think, opinion, I mean, that's I mean that's a pretty fair opinion. You know, I think that you know a lot of people would agree on that one. So how about so how about we go into the the best of solo songs from the artist? Okay, here's the thing. When it comes to Wu Tang, I have like this weird um, I don't even know how to explain it because it's like. My favorite album isn't by the best, what I think is the best member of Wu-Tang, but the best member of Wu-Tang has some albums that I like, but they're not the best. Like, 
in my personal opinion, this could just be because I'm biased. My absolute favorite, like, no skips Wu-Tang album or solo Wu-Tang album, 12 Reasons to Die by Ghostface Code and Adrian Young. The reason being is because Adrian Young knows how to make production that sound like an old Italian horror movie. And the move, the album is inspired by old Italian horror movies. And I feel like Ghostface kills it. I feel like the features are great and the production is on point. But I don't think Ghostface is the best member of Wu-Tang. Who's the best? <laughs> I might get shit for this. Inspect the deck. No, you're gonna get shit. Okay, yeah, that's a viable opinion right there. Inspect the deck. Deck is uh, deck is a low key, um, like just killer man. Exactly, you know, and like so he, it's like I feel like you know because I appreciate I appreciate you know Raekwon and Method Man and Jizza and all, like I love like what they do. Liquid Swords is an incredible album, but album that like i feel like the production's on point the bars are on point like the album flows perfectly i have to say the 12 reasons to die the apollo brown remix is also incredible but like i love the original adrian young mix um but yeah i like i gotta say like because for me even though inspect the deck i feel like is the best member of wu-tang i didn't really like heavily fuck with his discography until he started doing the czar face project well, I kind of feel like Deck kind of got the short end of the stick. Oh, yes. It came to that because his whole album was destroyed in that flood with Riz's <coughs> That's right. studio. That's know, right, that, yeah. You know, truth, if truth be told, you know, that album was almost finished and then was destroyed. In the flood, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like, that's one of those things where it's like, shit, what did we miss out on, you know? Yeah. It's one of those things, like, it's like one of those, like, like lost movies that were like destroyed in like the universal fire. It's like yeah. we have images of, we, we know what London after midnight looks like, but we will never be able to watch it. Man, London after midnight. Yeah, dude. Great dude. lost Lon Chaney. Exactly. Films, man. Exactly. And so, yeah, like in my, in my humble opinion, like I said, it's just, this is something I might get shit for, but like, I feel like RZA, is a good but not great producer. I mean, I think that that's fair. I mean, especially, me, just ex- me. especially if we're talking like post like the W. Exactly. Because mm-hmm. I feel like his production has like changed. As, as yes. all production for artists for sure. changes, but like, but not for the best. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing where it's just that like he obviously produced all of 36 Chambers and that is a flawless record. But I feel like as time went on, like the business side of Wu-Tang kind of took over and the production side of Wu-Tang for him kind of fell into the backside. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the best Wu-Tang albums are produced by other producers who aren't in Wu-Tang. That's why I said like 12 Reasons to Die produced by Adrian Young is an incredible record. Same thing with like, you know, with Zarface, like I feel like those records are incredible. But yeah, like Seven L doing all the production. Yeah, exactly. There. You know, so yeah, I had this that that that's my. I would love to hear your guys' take. I mean, like I, honestly, I mean, like we, we were talking about this, you know, um, before we started the interview. But like, yeah. I I honestly think that Adrian Young has the Wu Tang sound down better than RZA does. I, I, I exactly. mean, people would call this blasphemy, but I mean, I think that just hand the reins over to Young and have him produce the final Wu Tang album. Uh, you know, I mean, like it would be. It would be the best album that they ever put out since Thursday Chambers, in my opinion. I, I would totally agree because there hasn't been a bad Adrian Young album. 
Now, when it comes to individual solo albums, that's a tough one for me because, yeah. because mm, I don't know. They probably, I don't know if I want to put my opinion yeah, out there. Think, hey, think, hey, man, I, I'm bringing you down with me, okay? <laughs> okay, because because I, I waffle between these two when it comes to like the best. Okay. So everyone's gonna go basic as hell. I will say Liquid Swords. Okay. Liquid Swords is a damn near flawless album. That's fair. Even that closer song that Killer Priest does, B I B L E. Sure. Um, you know, is a wonderful way to close out that album. And I also, but I, but I waffle between this and Iron Man from Ghostface. Oh, now, okay. now the thing is, because because Iron Man is a, is an incredible album. But the one thing is though that, and again, this is like on the nerdy hip hop producer sure. side of me, is that it's produced after that flood, so it's cleaner. The production on it is noticeably cleaner from like Tikal or like only built for only built for Cuban links or stuff like sure. that. Liquid Swords, all that stuff that was produced before that flood. But then again, you have you have tracks on like Indy Five Hundred. Yeah, yeah. Um, all that happens, you. I mean, just so many, you know, yeah. like dope tracks on there. So I always go back and forth between Iron Man and Liquid Swords. It depends on like what kind of mood I'm in because sure. you know because of the Ghost is just. So hype, yeah. To one so I don't know. Everyone's looking at me. My only <laughs> real, for, for real, for real, I'll just be one hundred with you all. I don't have a lot of experience with beyond my old college roommate running into my room screaming Wu Tang. <laughs> <laughs> that is my only experience with Wu Tang. So I'm just more inclined, just because I know the homie here for so long, to just agree with his opinions, and just because like I every kind of new music or any kind of music that I've experienced when it comes to hip hop, for the most part, like that isn't just like. Fucking some shit that's just like on the radio or whatever yeah. is you know coming from 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 Rob over here. Yeah. But yeah, you know, like I mean, I don't, I'm just here, I'm just here for the ride and enjoying the <laughs> fuck out of hearing your all hot takes about the yeah. thing. I I will say I will say this though, one album that I keep coming back to, uh, solo Wu Tang album that I absolutely love is uh, Return to Thirty Six Chambers ODB. Mm. That is just such a fun record. Like it's just like. He's he was a fucking madman, but goddamn it, like he knew how to like keep your attention. Right. Like a lot of the rhymes did not rhyme or did not make sense, but goddamn it, like he knew how to hold your attention and he knew how to make an album. Even though entertainer, yeah. Yeah, it was entertaining. Like it may have been incoherent at times, but <laughs> oh, goddamn it, it's great. Like yeah, dude. Oh, baby, I like <laughs> so yeah, dude, it's just like yeah, like tracks like Brooklyn Zoo or something. Like it's just like yeah, dude, it's just he just he's just talking shit. But yeah, man, it's incredible. <laughs> Shout out to the Wu Tang. Shout out to the fucking Wu Tang, man. Because Wu Tang is forever, and Wu Tang is for the children. Wu Tang is for the children. <laughs> you know, so since we're kind of on this top, this top um, kick, yeah. you know, who would, who would you say are your top five producers, man? Oh fuck! If you, uh, if you, could, if you could narrow it down to that many. That's the thing. Like, this is one of those things where it's just like, I always think about it, but I never have an answer. I guess if I if I had to choose five producers that I absolutely love, so DJ Muggs, Jay Dilla, Mad Lib, Thess One, The Alchemist. Solid. Because, like, one thing that I, I forgot to mention was that, like, even though... You know, uh, uh, Easy E was like the first hip hop, or Easy Does It was the first al album that I ever heard, and you know that underground hip hop mixtape or mix CD that I got 
was very life altering. The one song that forever and ever changed my life and made me go, oh, I want to do that was Worst Comes the Worst by Dilated Peoples. Y'all, some people got good friends at night. I live my life right. Intense. On the edge, on the wire. I'm from the group where friction leads to fire. Stack your bricks, the time is take your pick. Do it, don't. The track, out the Y'all, my life is good. I got my peeps in the mix, so. I got worldwide family all over the earth. And I worry about them all for whatever it's worth. From the birth to the hearse, through streets, the guns burst. Words I disperse are here to free uh, minds. Yeah. And if mine are needy, I need to feed mine. Set up shop and write a verse. Actually, what? that's best come to best. My lyrics take care of me. They therapy, get shit off my chest. Extra stress. Three, four, over the score. Different patterns of rhyming prepare me for war. So next time you see us, we'll be deadly on tour. When That song is the is probably the reason why I'm here today and why I do what I do. Because it was so unique. It was what I was looking for and what I was desperate for something different. But all I knew was that song. I didn't know Dilated Peoples. I just knew Worst Comes Worse. And that was just a song that I constantly had on loop. I, I, to this day, it's just one of those songs that is like, it's one of those things where it's like, Fuck, I wish I did that. You know, like it's just it's one of those beats where I'm like, fuck, I wish that was like, god damn it. That's I wish I a, found that sample. Exactly. Like, God, that was such a perfect beat. But yeah, I think that's why like the Alchemist is one of those producers that's like is a huge, huge influence on me. I would say like if I had to pick like in a particular order of producers that like inspired me, it would probably be like Alchemist on the top, DJ Muggs, J Dilla, Mad Lib, Thess One. Like if I had to choose because it's like that was the Alchemist beats was was were the beats that made me go, oh, this is different. You know? Definitely, man. Yeah. You know, definitely lots of left field production. Exactly. The Alchemist. So I think the only thing that's more difficult than t- picking top five producers is what would you say your top five horror movies of all time? Oh fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> is that an answer? <laughs> um Um, shit, that's a good one. Cause honestly, it's just like, okay. If, if I had to choose five horror movies that I would like, these are my top five that I can watch over and over again. Uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the beyond, um, reanimator. Evil Dead 2, and see, right, like, this is where I'm kind of mixed, because, like, I want to throw in a Giallo and say, like, Deep Red or Tenebrae, but also I want to say, go on, like, a more supernatural route and go Suspiria, something by Argento, you know, you know, ah, fuck, you know what, I have to go with... Night of the Living Dead. Because ah. that was one of those movies that like 
like that was one of, that was one of those movies I watched at a very young age that like really made me go like oh damn like these movies can say something these movies can have an impact you know they, these aren't just like spooky movies to scare you like these they can say some shit so yeah uh, let's see what what did I say I said Texas Chainsaw Reanimator Reanimator The Beyond The Beyond Evil Dead Two and Night of the Living Dead. Those are solid lists, man. I mean, like, and all the filmmakers that made those films have multiple... Exactly. Multiple movies to their name. To, you know? In my defense, aside from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Reanimator, that list some t- that list always interchanges. Yeah. I but, just ha- yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, no, no, I just saying. had to ask because I get, I get taken to see a lot of these kinds of movies, right? From right. a studio called A24. <laughs> and I'm just curious... <laughs> I'm just curious, sure. right? What your all opinion about about that studio and the movies they've been making lately? Because obviously they're making popular movies sure. that people are talking about. You know, I've seen The Witch. You remember? I don't know if you remember two people who have been on our show, Eddie and Des, walked out of that movie and demanded what? Their yeah. They walked out of that. Well, to be clear, they walked out of the movie because they weren't having a good time. It was not enjoyable to them because the movie, right, was saying something that wasn't necessarily, I think, relatable to what they were like, what they thought, right? Like they were like, they thought it would be about a witch. In a different way than... than uh, but, don't get me wrong. Like, yeah. I said, I've seen the movie. That's why I want to hear. How do you all feel about these A24 movies? Like Hereditary, you know, The Witch, the other ones that they've been coming out with. Like, you know, what's it called? Uh, the one in, with all the, all the white people in, in Northern Europe. <laughs> uh, I think it's called, like, just Men? Uh, no, or... it's... Uh, what's it called? It starts with an M, though. It's uh, the one that's, like, set with them all in Northern Europe. They're all, like, doing all psychedelics all the time. And Oh, God. Uh, oh, Midsummer. Midsommar, there yeah. we go, that one, yeah, like, those movies, I'm just curious. I was about curious. to say Wicker Man. I don't mean to derail, Rob, but I was just, nah, I couldn't bro. miss the opportunity to just No, ask. please, yeah. Rob, do you want to start? Well, here, like, I'll, I'll start with The Witch, I mean, like, uh, I, number one, I knew going into that movie what I was getting, I knew that sure. it was going to be a period piece, I knew it was yeah. going to be, like, yeah. it, it was going to be the, the old yeah. English speak of, like, the uh, 17th century, I believe, is when it takes place. Yeah, it's, yeah, it was, like, 16th, 17th century, yeah, 17th, 18th yeah, century, you know, it's, like, like when you have, like, the Puritan, I, I, yeah. I don't even know if there were colonies yet at that time, when that, right, when, yeah. it was, when it was taking place in the context of that film but um i liked it i enjoyed it i i had to i it was a beautifully shot movie sure um it was i i have to give tip my hat off to the cast for like saying like in character oh my god that's a that's a very hard film to write for i think and to shoot like that yeah you have to get like character actors absolutely um i wasn't expecting like a jump scare kind of film. Yeah. I think people kind of, they hear witch and I think everyone was thinking Blair Witch or something sure. like that. They were expecting that kind of film. Yeah. Um, I liked it. Um, actually, don't crucify me. I didn't see Hereditary, so I can't, I can't. Oh, you it. need to watch that fucking movie. It's a, it's a good one. I will say. I mean, it's good only in the sense that it made me like hate myself slightly for watching it. <laughs> Like I think A twenty four does this thing where they're like, okay, like you're gonna watch like an hour long movie that's like a family drama, yeah, and you're gonna be like invested, and then it just we're just gonna get it, gonna get fucking weird really yeah. fast. I, I think the other A twenty four movie is what, was this A twenty four was the Color of Space with Nicolas Cage was that was no that that's that's not A twenty four. I uh, fuck, I have such a strong love hate relationship with that movie. Like it's <laughs> if, well, if, if if you've read the original H P like Lovecraft. 
short story. Yeah. Like, it's it's probably the most it is the closest that Dude. film that there's been there's been several film adaptions to the story. Yeah, and none of them have really got that story right. And right. I think this is like the closest. Yeah. It doesn't one hundred percent get it. But it's pretty close. Absolutely. Though. No, dude, I, I have Lovecraft tattooed on my arm. That's like, they, yeah, like I, I love H.P. Lovecraft's work. I understand that a Mexican guy loving H.P. Lovecraft and having a tattoo of him is a little weird. But, like, like that movie, I walked out of that going, that is how you make a fucking H.P. Uh, Lovecraft adaptation. Like, it has not been that good since Reanimator and From Beyond and Castle Freak. But even then, those are all, like, loose adaptations. This is pretty much the, like, what you read is what you watch in the movie. So, yeah. But, no, yeah. But, like, to answer your question about A24, I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with A24 because A24 has put out some incredible films. But there's a lot of, like, really pretentious films that they put out. And so, you know, like, there's some movies that, like, for me... I loved Hereditary. Th- that was the first movie, shit, since I was like in middle school that ma- that actually made me jump in my seat. It-, it actually like startled me. Like there was a cu- there was one particular scene that like st- that got me. That literally in a quiet movie theater, my ass is in the back, and all you hear is shit. Like that was me. <laughs> like, <laughs> like like that I, that it scared me. I did not like Midsummer. I didn't like it. It dragged on too long, and I felt like at the end of the movie, all I could think is, Ari Aster, just go to therapy, buddy. Like, you'll be all right. I watched that movie with my fucking parents. Yeah. There's like a three or five minute orgy scene in that movie. (laughs) Yeah. Which I was not, because I watched it first, like like 80% of the way through, with just my friends, right? And I was like, all right, this is like, you know, I've done mushrooms enough times to be like, this is surreal. This is like, this is like, you know, captures the disorientation of like and the fear that comes from like not knowing what's real and what's going on but then like yeah it dragged on and by the end of it i was just like i'm less invested than these uh, these white people yeah scrolling around fucking like doing weird shit in this field in, in northern europe uh and then obviously like i said the five minute familial orgy scene did not help yeah i was like dude this movie's dragging like just fucking ended already i just want to be like the elderly couple that jumped off the cliff i'm fucking done done dude. yeah Okay, getting this interview back on track. We're doing an interview, aren't we? (laughs) So, um, we're turning back to the music side of things, man. Oh, right. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, there's music. Yeah, Yeah, there's music in this interview. Um, As an artist, um, you know, as a producer, man, what do you hope audiences take away um, from your music, you know? Because I know, like, unlike an MC, you know, you're not, you're not, sending messages via words yeah. or lyrics, you know, but you are giving the soundscape, which I think gives it its emotional pa- sure. power. I mean, for me, it's like my goal isn't about like making money. It isn't about becoming famous. Like my goal for people who listen to my music is that I want them to listen to a beat I produce and they go, oh, that's an Acosta the Man beat. Like they immediately, like they hear the style, they hear how it's done, all that shit. And that makes them go, oh, Acosta obviously produced this, you know? And that's something because it's like when you listen to like a Pete Rock beat or an Alchemist beat or anything like that, like, or, you know, a Madlib beat, you immediately know like, oh, this sounds like, you know, so-and-so. 
And I want that to where they go, this sounds like Acosta. Google really quick. Oh, it is Acosta. You know, like I, that's what I want people to, that's what I want people to get with my music. I want them to hear my music. And because for me, I hate the idea of sounding like another artist. That's why it's like whenever, like, uh, like my influences, I love talking about it. But whenever somebody's like, oh, you sound like so-and-so, I'm like, shit, I got to change my style because I don't want to sound like so-and-so. I want, I want people to say, oh, I can hear this. I can hear your influence. Mm -hmm. But I don't want them to say, oh, you sound exactly like so-and-so because I don't want to sound like so-and-so. I want to sound like Acosta. I want to sound like Acosta the man. That's who I want to sound like. And I want people to listen to my beats and know this is what you're going, this is what you're getting yourself into. You're going to get a atmospheric beat that is dark and always on a on a minor key. Mm -hmm. You know, like I, I want that, you know, and like, yeah, I might throw in a monkey wrench in there and have like a trap beat or maybe like a lo-fi jazzy beat or whatever, whatever. I might throw that in just because I'm bored and I get bored easily and I want to do something different, but I want people to come in and when they hear it, they know, oh, that's Acosta right there. They already hear, they know what they're, they know what comes with my music because it has a unique sound that only I do. You know? Definitely, man. And if you had one message to give to, you know, fans, uh, people who love to listen to your music, um, what would it be? Fucking thank you, honestly, because like it's it's simple, but like this has been a passion of mine. This is something that has been a big part of my life, and it's something that has meant the world to me ever since I was a kid. And the idea of just the concept of fans still blows my mind to have people DM me and saying, yo, dude, I love what you do. Like, oh, I love this beat, blah, blah, blah you killed that production in this artist, you know, song, like, fuck, I did do that. Mm -hmm. Cause it's like growing up, I didn't have encouragement from anybody. Like I was always told that my music was just a hobby, that it was right. going to go nowhere. And that it was just like, you know, focus on getting a real job and just, you know, this will be just a cute little hobby. And to have, the platform now where people reach out to me and say, dude, I fucking love this. It's still surreal to me. You know, it's just, it's one of those things where it's like, if I had a fan come up to me and tell me that they love my music, Hey man, you want an autograph? You want a photo? You want like free merch? I don't give a shit, dude. Thank you. Because the idea of having fans still has such an impact on me. And so I'm so grateful. And so like anybody who is a fan of mine who looked at the title of this episode and went, oh shit, and immediately clicked it and downloaded it, thank you. That's what I want to say to these people. That's what I want to say to my fans. I want to say thank you because I wouldn't be here without them because that matters so much more. I'd much rather have 500 fans than $1,000 because this shit matters to me because my... My favorite, one of my favorite things going to a punk show at like the showcase theater in Corona or a house show, or whatever. The thing that I always loved was the bands were always willing and ready to talk to you right there, right, right yeah. next to you. There was no like barrier, right? There was no you have to have backstage passes, right? You can go up to them and say, Hey man, great set, and they'll go, Oh, thank you, and you have that connection. And 
you know, there's a lot that I got out of the punk scene, you know, do it yourself. Don't sound like anybody else. But most importantly, you aren't any better than your fans because without mm -hmm. them, you are nothing. Right. Like there's this, there's this folk punk band called Defiance Ohio that they, ref they would refuse to play on stage because they always wanted to be at ground level with their fans. Because they didn't want to be above anybody because they were just like, no, dude, like we're nothing without you guys. So we want to be at eye level with you. Right. And that mattered so much. And because I feel like hip hop has become such a commodity now that it's like people are getting famous off of this shit. And because of that, people lose, use their, lose their humility and they're no longer humble. Because fuck, dude, you're, everybody's one bad day away from being ruined. Basically, yeah. And be grateful for this shit, you know? It's just like the idea of just like the idea of being bigger and better and being this superstar. Like, I don't want that because I'd much rather have the ability to connect with my fans and say thank you. Because like I said, if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't fucking be here. And it just, it still boggles my mind that I have fans. So yeah, it's a long winded way of saying thank you so much to everybody who's listening. Of course, man. Thank you. Yeah. So like, what could you tell us about, um, any upcoming projects that you have lined up for the future in 2022 or beyond, you know? Um, so I have a few things coming up. Um, I mean, I'm always working with Jag, Threat, Cosmic Force. Um, we don't have anything lined up, but I always tell them, hey, man, you need anything, hit me up. Um, I got a project coming out. Well, actually, like a single drop today, uh, Vader Time with Chop the Father. Shout out to Chop the Father out of Texas. Um, we got a full project coming out. Um, got a full project coming out with Navy Jones Locker called Angels Loyal to Demons. It's going to be coming out, I think, in September. have another project coming out with D-Rel. Um, yeah, um, I've, sent a, I've sent some beats to artists. I don't want to say who because I don't want to say like, oh, yeah, this shit's coming out. I just sent them the beats. And if they do record it, great. If not, they just have it, you know. But I've, I've sent some beats to some artists. Hopefully something will come to fruition with that. But yeah, man, I'm I'm trying I'm working as much as I can. There's a lot of artists that I want to work with. Um was on an incredible compilation not long ago that Step <laughs> Off Radio put out. Thank you for including me on that. For real, for real. Thank shout you out so to much. you. Thank you so yeah. much for big shout out to the Rob. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for contributing to the intro and the outro, man. Yeah, man. No, of course, thank you for asking me to be a part of it. But um yeah, man, I've, I'm constantly working like this is, cause that's the thing. It's just like, I fucking hate social media so goddamn much. And so it's like, <laughs> I'm, I rarely post on social media and I notice that I like my followers have just been slowly chipping away. And I'm like, I really hope those are just bots that got deleted, but like I'm constantly working and it gets to a point where I'm like, Oh fuck, right. I should post something. So it's like, just cause I'm not posting doesn't mean I'm not working. Right, so it's yeah. like, I'm right now sitting on shit easy 25 30 beats that are not released like no one has them no one has heard of them this is literally just what i'm working on mm -hmm. and they're done for the most part i just need to tweak a few things maybe change the drums mix and master them i might put out like another beat tape sometime soon um maybe i'll see what's up with that but yeah man i'm just constantly working beat making talking to artists and shout out to all the artists that i named shout out to all the potential artists i'll be working with um, yeah, man, I'm constantly working and 
you know, <clears throat> stay tuned, man. These are just previews of coming attractions. No doubt, man. And um, I guess, you know, even though you kind of detested it a little bit, where can people find you and follow you online <laughs> to see how I you mean, work? if you want to follow I'm me. I'm going to hate social media, but follow me at... <laughs> <laughs> You know, for everyone that wants to get those latest updates for your know, new music shows and promotions, you right. know, like yeah. where, where, where can people find you? Um, I, so you can follow me on Instagram on Acosta, A-C-C-O-S-T-O-S-T-A underscore the underscore man. Um, I'm on Spotify um i'm on youtube as well acosta the man i had a twitter for like three weeks and then i gave up um i had a tiktok for like a week and i gave up um instagram is definitely the one um social media that i stuck with so it's like yeah man if you really want to keep if you want to hear beats see what movies i'm watching and what records i'm listening to and then you know just uh my rants of a syphilitic mind in my stories then just go ahead and follow me on instagram acosta underscore the underscore man oh yeah any last closing comments or anything else you want to let our listeners know about yourself and any upcoming releases you've got i mean we kind of went over that but any just last words um I, like i get I, I wish i had something like witty to say but the only thing i could really say is Anybody who's listening, if there's something you want to do, fucking do it. Like, don't, the only thing you should be afraid of is stagnation. You do not want to be bored. You do not want to just stay in the same space. Like MF Doom said, scared money makes none. So it's like if you have to take that risk. Because like when I was younger, I used to skateboard. And it wasn't until I said, fuck it, that I was able to drop into pools. Obviously, I landed on my ass multiple times, but I kept doing it until I could do it. And so I think the only parting words I would have to say is do not be afraid to take chances. Do not be afraid to take that risk, because if you don't take that plunge, you will never know what's on that other side. And if you don't know what's on that other side, you may never know. And you don't want to live in a world of what if, because I hate the idea of not trying anything new. I would much rather make an album that people say this sucks and learn from that than to never take that chance and never risk it because without that risk, I wouldn't be here. Without that chance, I wouldn't be here. And without me saying, yeah, fuck it, why not? I wouldn't be working with some of the people I'm working with and I wouldn't be making the connections that I'm making. So like, I guess the parting words I have to say is don't give up, keep trying. And if you're scared, that's good. So keep pushing because it means it matters and take that chance, take that risk. As long as it doesn't hurt you or hurt someone else, try something new, man. Fuck it. Why not? That's right. Fuck it. Why not? <laughs> Fuck it. Why not? Most definitely, man. Yeah. Yo, with that said, Acosta the man, thank you again so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, man. I had a great time. We appreciate it, man. You know, we're looking forward to having you back on the show sometime soon. Yeah, yeah man. Tell me when and where and I'll be back. <laughs> I have a wonderful time. No doubts. Internets, you've just been accosted by Acosta the man. <laughs> and with that said, we out. Peace. All right. <laughs>
This episode of Step Off Radio is recorded at the Justice Center, San Diego, and our music was done by DJ Root. This has been a Step Off Magazine production.